<clears throat> in less than two weeks, I will uh, be a homeowner, um, closing on my house on March 19th. And so earlier this week, I began the laborious uh, process of, of packing my life into U-Haul boxes. It's glorious. And through this process of packing, I've confronted an unsavory truth about myself. I've kept a number of things, a lot of things, beyond their usefulness. For example, um, I have probably a half dozen English anthologies from my undergrad and graduate degrees at OSU, ranging from British literature to American literature to modern literature to poetry and, and a couple others. And I've been lugging these mammoth books around for 15 years. Why? Well, because I've read them, and they illustrate my accomplishments. Accomplishments. Will I ever read them again? <laughs> no. <laughs> but, boy, oh boy, don't they look impressive sitting on my bookshelf. Yeah, they do. A few other things that I've, I've come to recognize as being useless uh, or have expired in terms of their usefulness in my life. Button-up shirts. I have a lot of them. It's a problem. It's a problem. I have less than 100, and I'll just leave it there. <laughs> the thing is, though, of that less than 100, I've probably not worn three-fourths in the last three years. And yet, when I open my closet, oh, glory, hallelujah, <laughs> it just is so colorful. There's so many shirts there. It's a healthy-looking closet. I feel accomplishment when I look at that closet, but I don't wear those shirts. I could go on and on. Messenger bags. I carry one messenger bag. I've carried the same messenger bag for probably four years, but I have 12. Seasonal pillows. Dozens of seasonal pillows in my home. Because you just never know and you need to switch out that pillow for fall. I know, right? It's crazy. <laughs> and I won't even touch the things that are in the basement stored in stackable totes because I like order. But they're all there. And I've not touched them for years except to move them from one basement to the next basement. But you get the idea, and by the look on your face, you know what I'm talking about. I see the guilt in your eyes, the knowing in your eyes. There comes a point in all of our lives where it seems like a purge is necessary. And the truth is, we all like our stuff. It gives us a sense of security and accomplishment. Look at all my stuff. Look at all my stuff. And yet our stuff has a way of consuming us and even, and even kind of holding us hostage to the past or to a particular moment in life or a particular way of seeing ourselves in life. Our stuff can be a detriment to us. And so if we accept that faith is a journey, then we must recognize that along the journey, some things we pack to go with us. Some things, though, we purge to set us free. And some things we learn to relate to differently. The common assumption about today's gospel passage is that Jesus 
is very angry in that he goes to the temple uh, to purge the temple of commercial abuse. Yet the animals and the money changers in the temple's marketplace, they have every right to be there. In fact, they had to be there. The temple, although the most sacred place on earth for the Jews, had to have a marketplace. It's a practicality. The marketplace enabled the Jews to exchange currencies from various regions, as well as to purchase animals for sacrifice, which was the way that they understood worshiping God. And so it was their way of life. When Jesus arrives at the temple with his whip of cords and he's driving out the sheep and the cattle and so forth and flipping over the tables of the money changers and demanding an end of of buying and selling in the market or in the temple, he's not condemning the marketplace. He's not condemning the money changers. He's not condemning this practice of faith. As much as he's announcing through a purge, through a letting go, an end of a particular way of relating to God, a way of commerce, a way of sacrifice, a way that is no longer necessary, for he offers another way. You see, God is no longer available primarily, let alone exclusively, in the temple. As John writes in the opening verses of his gospel account, the faithful are now invited to experience God's grace upon grace, not through a place or through sacred things, but through faith in Christ alone. Some things we pack to go with us, some things we purge to set us free, some things we learn to relate to differently. Are you familiar with C.S. Lewis's Narnia series? Yeah? One of my favorite series. I have the whole series on a bookshelf at home. <laughs> it's impressive. <laughs> I'm packing that to go with me. If you remember, in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, uh, four children travel from worn torn London to Narnia, and there they meet the great lion, the Christ figure, Aslan. And with his help, they defeat the white witch. They set Narnia free. In the second book, the children travel back to Narnia to help Prince Caspian uh, recover his throne. But at the end of the book, Aslan informs the two older children, Peter and Susan, that they will no longer return to Narnia. In the third book, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, Aslan meets Lucy and Edmund, and there he tells them, like their siblings, that this will be their last trip to Narnia. Lucy, as you can imagine, is is distraught and never sing the lion again. (laughs) But he reassures her that she will see him in her own world. And she's surprised by this revelation that Aslan is present in her world since she's only ever encountered him in Narnia. But then he tells her that the whole reason that he brought her to Narnia so that she would come to know him well there, but then be able to more easily recognize him 
in her own world. Some things we pack, some things we purge, some things we learn to relate to differently. Jesus reveals to the people of faith that God is no longer contained exclusively in mortar and stone. Rather, God now dwells in a new temple of flesh and blood, a temple of the world. And the time had come for them to let go, to remove and to purge those practices and ways of knowing God that limited their life with God. I imagine it was difficult and even terrifying for the people of Jerusalem to hear and to witness Jesus' actions that day, confronted with coming to terms with needing to let go, letting go of their ancient practices of relating to God, needing to let go of this one specific destination where only God could be encountered. I imagine it was hard to understand their lives outside of the temple, perhaps for the first time without all of their stuff. More importantly, they had to come to recognize that God is not simply a destination, but a movable altar within our hearts. We all have stuff, some of it personal, some of it material, some of it good, some of it, though, that traps us, imprisons us in the past. Lent is the season when we come to clean our homes when we clean our souls. It is the time when we wander through the wilderness and we do well to echo the prayer of, of King David. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. In so many ways, Jesus is the ultimate house cleaner. He helps us sort what's important and what's no longer necessary to carry around in life, so that we too might know purposefulness, a meaningful existence, always moving towards God, liberated from the shackles of all of our stuff that we hold on to, that we think define us, that give us a sense of accomplishment and purpose. God's grace upon grace is not found in stuff, it's found in Christ alone. Some things we pack, some things we purge, some things we learn to relate to differently. Amen.